So you turn to Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles, Acts chapter 2. We're going to start off today with a little bit of what will sound like core group training. Uh, it's kind of been a, um, something else that makes us distinct as a crossing church since we started three years ago. Uh, a lot of times we have other people ask us how things are going, other pastors, other churches, how things are going. And, and our kind of the running commentary is... Great, man. We're building a core group, working out the kinks. Uh, because what they're really asking is numbers questions, and we're trying to de-emphasize that. And, but, but, so we're kind of joking with them a little bit. Uh, but we're also very serious when we say that. We are continually building our core group and continually working out the kinks and tweaking things as we move forward as a body of believers. So core group, that's you. <laughs> we're in week three of providing these worship guides uh, as you come in. Or if you prefer, the street name Bulletin. Um, and it's, it's our attempt to um, uh, provide information to people every single week when they come in about who we are and what we're doing. Uh, they won't change much, uh, except for the date and the picture, whatever sermon series we're in. Uh, and then what you write in them. Um, whether you, you have the tear-off tab, that you write a prayer need, or, hey, contact me, tell me more about this, this church plant, the crossing um, kind of our, our nod to the unchurched or the church crowd that's used to that kind of communication. We, we prefer, and, and, and a lot of you do a really great job of just getting into conversation with people. Hey, let's go eat lunch. Come over to, with our MC. We're having lunch today or our supper tonight. And begin to build relationships. That's more important than what we write on a piece of paper and give to somebody and find out. And so keep doing that. Uh, you're doing a great job of that. Uh, and then what will change week to week is that space that you have there to take notes during the teaching time of the sermon. We, we want to trigger an image for you to help you kind of know what to write. Like sometimes people take notes in a sermon like they had the final exam on that sermon uh, later in the week. And they just want to write down every little thing that's said. And if that helps you focus and pay attention and follow. Great. Go for it. But there won't be a test. Uh, that's not coming up anytime soon. Uh, the danger there is that you're so busy writing... You got everything down that's said, but, but did you hear what God said? Did you hear God speaking to your heart? Did you stop and worship Him in the midst of taking such feverish notes? And so um, um, it's okay sometimes to put down your pen and just listen. Uh, millions of God's people for thousands of years have simply heard the Word of God, read or proclaimed, and never taken a note in their lives have been and are being changed. So screenshots, that's a word we... We get that word. When you see something on your phone you want to save for later on, you just pop a screenshot and you remember it. And so it's kind of the same in our worship gathering. Those moments where God speaks could be, um, could be during the teaching time, obviously. It could also be during one of the songs we sing or one of the prayers that we pray or one of the scriptures that we read. Or it could even be conversation that you have with somebody. And it could, it could be something that you don't necessarily write down while you're with us. But it could be something later on as you're reflecting on what happened this morning. And that's kind of a spiritual marker in your life that you want to remember. This is where God spoke. Case in point, last week we had a couple traveling through town from Houston going somewhere else that dropped in and visited with us. And uh, they attended Acts 29 Church in Houston. They saw us on their website. Hey, we'll worship with those guys. We kind of know what to expect. And uh, we spent last week talking about believers' baptism and Lord's Supper. And uh, he came up to me uh, before they left with tears in his eyes and said, uh, I've never been baptized as a believer. And God's been after me for years. And when I get home, we're going to get that done. And so you never know when you come on a Sunday how God's going to speak, how God's going to change your life forever. And so you're coming expecting that to happen. And, and really, it's any time you engage God in his word. All through the week, and you're opening up the word and you're asking God to speak, your life can be changed. When you gather with your DNA or your missional community, your life can be changed. And so that, that's the purpose of that. Uh, we have uh, a participation part to our teaching time today. So if you've got a worship guide this morning, uh, you saw a little slip of paper. It's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, I'll get some more instructions later on. Just hang on to that. If you didn't get a worship guide with a little slip of paper, you can pick some up in the back. Uh, feel free to, to head back there and grab one. Um, uh, I've recently been watching uh, the Ken Burns PBS documentary on Vietnam War. Uh, heavy, heavy, hard, hard stuff to watch. Um, if you know that part of our nation's history, maybe some of you lived through that. You're probably very young, but 
Most of us in this room did not live through that. We just read about it in history books or see documentaries like this. Um, how hard it was to, to be a nation during that time. Uh, most of the soldiers that were sent into that conflict did uh, honorable and brave things, carrying out hard duties. Um, it's no secret, though, that there were some soldiers, platoons, battalions that committed war crimes and some horrible things were done against civilians. And um, in one story I was watching, uh, there was an army reporter who was with a particular platoon that were committing some of these atrocities against the civilians of Vietnam. And he went to the commander and said, this is not right. Y'all, we should not be doing these things. And the commander told him, uh, you know, this is war. Things like this happen during war. Don't write about it. Don't tell anyone about it. What well, still bothered the armor reporter, so he went and got the chaplain, who was a part of the platoon, the battalion, and he came back with the chaplain, and they confronted the commanding officer again and said, this is not right. These things that are being done by the soldiers to these civilians is wrong. And the commander told the chaplain, chaplain, you stick to religion, and we'll take care of everything else. Which only revealed how skewed his understanding of religion and Christianity was. And how wrong and evil his crimes and their crimes were. But it's a mentality that's incredibly present in our culture today. Religion is the spiritual side of life. Praying, Bible reading, church attendance, being ready to die, all that kind of stuff. But when we're done with that spiritual side of life, then we go back into the rest of our life where we kind of do what we want to do. That part of life, the religion part of life, doesn't really interfere with everyday life. They're kind of separate. Uh, Christian Smith uh, has coined a term, moral therapeutic deism, that describes this kind of living, where I I want God, yes, I do want God, but I I want Him where I want Him. So if I'm in trouble, if I need help, if I'm suffering, then yeah, come in and help me out, God. Otherwise, just keep your distance. I want to do what I want to do. And it's incredibly rampant in the culture of America today, and it's incredibly foreign, would have been incredibly foreign to the early church in the book of Acts. Compare that mentality with these descriptions in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Father, we are grateful for your word. By your word we live. Not just physically, you sustain our life by the word of your power, but spiritually, we are born again by the living word of God. And so we ask you to come and speak to us, your people. Transform us, change us, convict us, encourage us, comfort us. May the gospel cut, may the gospel heal this morning. We ask that you would do all these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This unbiblical mentality about our lives being separated into the God part and the rest of my life uh, being my part really shows up when the church begins to talk about how to use your time and money, especially money, right? Here's the money sermon. Yay, welcome visitors. Um, We are the crossing church. We exist to see all people enjoy Christ by following Jesus and being changed by his gospel. We give our lives to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus in everyday life. We are organized as missional communities. 
so that we can be the people of God in our city on a day-by-day basis. We are family, adopted by our Father in Heaven. We are sons and daughters of our Father in Heaven, brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been served by King Jesus, and now we serve King Jesus in our city as servants. And we have been sent as the Father and Son sent the Holy Spirit, so we are sent by the Spirit into the city as missionaries. And we believe that as a local church, the best way to live out this expression of being a local church is practicing meaningful church membership, where we are living out the high expectations that Jesus has placed on his followers that are impossible apart from the gospel of Jesus, the presence of Jesus in his people. And the only way we're going to be able to do this is together with Christ enabling us and empowering us. So recognizing that none of us have arrived yet, we're all a work in progress, but by God's grace, we want to come together and pursue this calling together. And so we practice this thing, this this type of meaningful membership called covenantal membership, where we covenant or we agree together to pursue this kind of life, spelling out explicitly a good thorough understanding of what the Bible says a follower of Christ should be and what a member of a local church should be. And so we literally will sign our names on a piece of paper saying publicly, this is who I want to be. Help me. Because of Jesus' love for us, because of our love for Jesus, because of our love for each other, let's go after this together. Let's agree together. Let's covenant together out of love to be this people. And we have copies of our of covenant back there uh, that you can pick up on your way out if you don't have one or download one off the city. But um, we are walking through a series. We are the Crossing Series. We do this every year. And we're taking our series this year to walk through word by word, line by line, our members' covenant to explain it, to help our people understand it, to, to fully grasp what it means to be a covenantal member of this local church. The hope is, if you're ready... To do this, you get this done by the end of 2017. So that going into 2018, we have everyone who's ready to be a covenantal member is a covenantal member. If you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, fears, trepidations, uh, whatever, take your time. No pressure. Take your time. Ask questions. And we'll walk with you uh, as you figure all that out and be a part of us as you figure all that out. Now, we've walked through the last couple of weeks the first three parts of our members' covenant. Basically, we are a people of the book. The scriptures. We will be committed to personal growth as a follower of Jesus Christ. And we will be a people who have been baptized as believers who regularly partake in communion. We do it every single week when we gather on Sundays. Today we'll look at numbers 4 and 5. And you could sum up 4 and 5 basically with this phrase, radical generosity. Radical generosity with your time and money. Number 4 of our members' covenant Uh, A member of the Crossing Church agrees to regularly participate in the life of the Crossing Church by attending weekly worship gatherings, engaging in a missional community, engaging in intentional discipling relationships in a DNA group, or desiring to be a part of a discipling group like DNA, and serving those within and outside of this church. Basically, we do life together in at least three different realms. So we gather as one body on Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, to worship our resurrected Savior. Like we see this as a pattern of God's people from the New Testament forward. After hundreds and hundreds of years of God's people gathering on the Sabbath, Jesus comes along, dies on Good Friday, rises on the Lord's Day, Sunday, and there's an immediate shift among God's people. Now we'll celebrate on the Lord's Day the resurrection of our Savior. So literally every Sunday is Easter. Every Sunday we are celebrating the resurrected life of our Lord, the life that is alive inside of us that we get to share together. Sundays are hugely important in the Bible Belt South. It's one of the strangest things I remember about being in China. Like every day feels the same in China because they don't have several hundred years of the church influencing their culture like we do in America. And so Sunday felt like every other day. Same amount of crowds, same number of businesses open, same number of people traveling everywhere. Here, it's a very different day. Our culture is still heavily influenced by the church. Everyone knows when it's Sunday. It's the one day of the week that you can't say, let's go get some Chick-fil-A. <laughs> right? The streets in the morning are empty. And this is despite the fact that on any given Sunday, probably only around 20% of the culture is attending a local church. Now, a higher percentage is a part of a local church or claims to be a part of a local church. But on any given Sunday, probably only 15 to 20% of the people are attending a worship gathering just like this. 
but Sundays still feel different. So we want to do Sundays well. We want to create an environment where Jesus is made much of in everything we do. The teaching, the songs, the prayers, the giving, the communion, the spotlight is on Christ. As leaders, we're constantly evaluating how are we doing Sundays? Are we doing them well? How can we do them better? Sundays in the, in the South are, is still the big front door of the church. Like if somebody says, I wonder what that church is like. What are they going to do? They're going to show up on a Sunday morning to see what that church is like. So we, we would love for everyone who joins the crossing to come through our missional communities because we're in the city and neighborhoods and workplaces and family and friends and we're being intentional with the gospel and people are being changed and the unchurched are seeing the beauty of the body of Christ lived out on an everyday basis. We would love for everybody to come through missional communities, but that hasn't happened yet. Mostly it's happened through Sunday morning and that's fine. We don't, we're not afraid of that. We just want to capitalize on that. And so the questions we're praying through now more than ever is this. God's given us something healthy and good called the Crossing Church. How can we get this to more people in our city? Either through a bigger front door on Sunday morning or through more missional engagement in our city. We want to do a good job loving families with kids. So if you choose while you're here during the teaching time, we'll take your young ones up through grade two. And we'll teach them in the back about Jesus on their grade level. But we also want to uh, uh, bring the kids in during the singing time so they can see mom and dad. Singing praises to Jesus, uh, praying to Jesus, hearing prayers and scriptures read over them uh, as, as they worship Jesus. And hopefully, prayerfully for your kids, worshiping Jesus like this becomes a normal part of their life that they never run from. That they always embrace because they see their parents lovingly embracing this Jesus. Not just here, but especially when we leave here. We want to do a good job of helping parents disciple their kids at home. So see yourselves as their primary disciple makers, not the church. We want to supplement what you're doing and help you and provide training and resources and equipping. We want to have a vibrant student ministry for kids who are older, so that who need more than just the voice of their parents to, to point them to Christ. And we're in the process of developing that. Joseph's going to say more about that later, so that a student ministry is more than just pizza and lock-ins, but it's about being disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. Sundays are important to us as the crossing. Sundays are important in our culture. So we want to meet the expectations our culture has about Sunday mornings, about worship gatherings, and embrace that, but then push our culture forward to something better and healthier than what's being experienced. And so as covenant members, we are part of these groups called missional communities. It's truly the organizing structure of our church where we want all ministry, all soul care, all pastoral care, everything to flow through our missional communities. It's how we do life. It's how we do mission. It's how we do service. It's how we live as a church outside of the two little hours that we're here every week. We don't go to church. What? We are the church. We are the church every single day. So you cannot be a covenant member of the Crossing Church without being in a missional community. Because you're not really a part of us unless you're in a missional community. Uh, for many in our church culture, church is an event on Sunday morning. It's a service to attend. It's a box to check. You don't see that in the scriptures. Church is a people. So we constantly want to fight against church as an event and call people to see themselves as more than just people attending a show and checking the box. Hey, I did church this week did the Jesus thing this week. And we want to call people into life with us as the people of God in this city as a family of servant missionaries. And being in a missional community is essential to that. If you don't know what a missional community is, plug in. Ask around. Find out where you can begin to be a part of a missional community. We have four right now. We're constantly praying and asking God to raise up more missional community leaders so we can send out more to plant more new missional communities. We'd love to have one in every single neighborhood in our cities. MCs get planted when we have spiritually mature, growing followers of Jesus who are covenantal members who have a passion and a plan to reach a particular group of people in our city that, that they're called to. And they join together with another person, our persons, our family. And then we send them out, literally like two by two. And they go and organize their life to reach that particular people group. Every single covenantal member of the Crossing Church should see yourself as a potential mission community leader. Every single covenantal member of the crossing should see yourself as leading a missional community one day. That's how we see you. Definitely how we pray for you. Definitely how we want to encourage you and equip you. 
And when God gives you a passion to reach a particular group of people, and he gives you some people to go do that with, let your MC leader know. Let one of us pastors know so that we can pour into you and get you ready to be sent out to go start a new missional community. And then the third realm, Sunday morning gatherings, MCs, the third realm is what we call DNA. Smaller, more intensive disciple-making groups. Men with men, women with women, uh, even students will have this. Uh, girls with girls, boys with boys. We think DNA is essential to us growing as much as possible as transformed followers of Jesus. It's essential. We need these kind of conversations in our life. We got dudes looking into our life saying, where are you at? Where are you struggling? Where do you need the gospel? Be honest. Don't lie. Don't play games. Like, how many, how many more people in our life do we have to see destroyed by sin? Now, we never think, it can't happen to me. That take heed lest you fall. I need brothers in my life to hold me accountable, to lovingly look at my life, to call me out, to see my blind spots. We need each other in that kind of intentional relationship to, to battle against sin. So see DNA as that vehicle to do that. Uh, we recognize DNA is hard. <laughs> very, very hard. Just to get it done, to get it scheduled, to get the logistics of it. So to be a covenant member, you have to at least recognize, I need this, I want this, I want to pursue this. But as anyone who's been a part of us for a long time would tell you, it's incredibly messy, it ebbs and flows, there's good times, there's bad times, there's hard times, there's easy times. Uh, it's a work in progress. Uh, just the logistics. Uh, you know, we say we eat 21 meals a week, pick one and eat it together. You think that would be easy. Sometimes it's not that easy. Uh, DNA stands for Discover, Nurture, Act. So discover, we discover each other's lives, we discover what God's Word said, and we want to see how those two things interact. So we want to nurture each other with God's Word and His Gospel. Here's where I'm struggling, here's where I'm failing to believe something about God, or I'm believing a lie about God or about myself. Here's where I need the Gospel, the truth of God's Word, to come in and change what I'm believing that is wrong, that is sinful. And then when I change my belief, now my actions can change. Because I'm no longer holding on to this false view of God. And, and brothers, help me uh, see these actions change in my life. Like just Thursday morning, Scott Kendrick and I were meeting. Uh, we meet every Thursday morning at 6.30 at, at Corner Coffee in, in West Renault. And, and we have these kinds of discussions. Not all the time. Sometimes we do other things. Sometimes we just goof off and laugh the whole time. But sometimes we have serious DNA conversations. And this week we're talking about prayer. Like, like we're, we're, we want to be men who passionately, desperately pursue Jesus in prayer and pray for our people in prayer. So, Kendrick, Jared, Scott, how can, how can we help each other do a better job of this? Spontaneously and in a structured way. So that's discover, nurture. How, do, how does God's word speak to my life and the situation that I'm in? How do I, where do I need to turn from sin and trust in Jesus and then act? Next steps. Here's where, how I want to go and live differently and, and how can you guys encourage me and hold me accountable? We believe the, most, the healthiest, most vibrant version of the crossing would be for every single covenant member or even non-covenant member to be in a DNA that meets regularly. We think it needs to be planned weekly because life happens. You're going to cancel some of them. And so if you plan it weekly, you'll probably meet two and a half times, three times a month. Whereas if you plan it every other week, you probably just meet once a month on average. And once a month is okay, but once a month doesn't allow for this level of trust and accountability for deep spiritual growth to happen that can happen in DNA. So a covenantal member of the crossing agrees to give of their time to do life with each other in these three realms. Sunday morning gatherings, mission communities, and DNA. And I had a, a great plan for us to visualize this that just didn't work out. But we're going to have a map of the city of Monroe, and we're going to go to the map, and we're going to put a, a, a one-color Sharpie where you live, and a one-color Sharpie where you work or go to school, and one-color Sharpie in a third place, some other place that you're engaged in the city, like the Oaks or, or Parkview Apartments or Jack Hayes, or it may be where your DNA meets, like your DNA meets in the same exact place every week. Why? So you can build relationships with the people of that business and get to the gospel. Or maybe you have a gas station that you fill up your tank every single week. And you don't pay at the pump, but you go inside to build relationships with the people who work there. Why? So you can build relationships and get to the gospel. Or when you go to your bank, you don't go through the ATM or the drive-thru. You actually get out of your car and walk inside and talk to the people to build relationships to get to the gospel. All these third places that we are actively engaged in the city to be everyday missionaries 
And, and we're going to have this map of Monroe and just see all these colors and all these places where the people of God are engaged. In your mind, it's just beautiful, right? It's really hard to find a map of the city of Monroe. Just letting you know. Like, they don't make these things. I might have to draw it, I guess. But you can just imagine, if you could see Monroe and West Monroe and the surrounding area, just people living in all these neighborhoods and people working at all these places and people going to school at these places and shopping and, and being involved in the city in all these places, that's where we are. Not, not just this building, where we are scattered throughout the city as missionaries and servants and family, impacting this region for the kingdom of God. God has put us in a lot of places to make a great impact, empowered by, his city, uh, empowered by His Spirit for His glory. Let's go be that people on an everyday basis. Let's, let's see the city of Mono transformed by God's gospel and God's people carrying His gospel to them. So see that. And one day we'll have a map and you'll really we'll see it. The fifth part of the member's covenant, the fifth number... Uh, a covenantal member of the crossing agrees to be a faithful steward of all that God has given me, time, talent, spiritual gifts, finances. I will give financial gifts, service, and time that is sacrificial, cheerful, and voluntary to the life of the crossing church. So a covenantal member of the crossing agrees to recognize that while God owns everything, literally everything, as Abraham Kuyper said, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all does not cry, mine. Every single atom, molecule, piece of matter that exists is his. He owns it all. He created it from nothing, sustains it by the power of his word. He gets to own it. That's just part of the package deal. Our calling as his followers is to steward or manage it in a way which is in according to the instructions of the owner that makes the owner look amazing. Makes the owner look good. Like if Jerry Jones came to you and said, hey, look, I'm going to go on a long trip. Here's the keys to the Cowboys. You run them for the next three years. I'll be back. How would you run the Cowboys? This is every guy's fantasy. Like, I know I could do a better job than that guy. How would you run the cow? Would it be just what you want them to be? Do you trade everybody you don't like? Get all the players that you do like? No, you know the owner's coming back, right? So all and every decision, all through your mind, you're thinking to yourself, man, what would, what, what would Jerry want me to do in this situation? What would Jerry do in this situation? Because when he comes back, man, I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah, good luck figuring that out, right? But that's the idea of stewardship, we manage our lives in a way that is a reflection of the one who truly owns our life. We're simply asking the question every day, every week. Father, you've given me this much time, this much energy, these many resources, these opportunities. How do you want me to utilize all of this this week in accordance with your character and nature as the boss? So that other people see how amazing you are in my life. Not how amazing I am, how amazing he is. So we schedule our life. We use our resources, we use our gifts, talents, and abilities to glorify Christ, to make Him look as amazing as He is, to, to demonstrate the character and nature of God through God's people. Now, I mentioned earlier we have uh, this way to participate this morning along those lines. In your worship guide, there was a small slip of paper. So we're basically trying to plan for 2018 as a local body of believers, and we we want to simply know what can we do as the crossing concerning the financial resources that we have. So basically, we'll, we'll take our plans and we'll take what we can do, what, what, what we hear from all of our people, and we'll see if they match. And if they don't, then we'll ask the Holy Spirit to lead us to make adjustments. And so we, we, we may, the, the gap may be very small, and we say, we're just going to walk this out by faith, not by sight. We're going to trust our Father's going to provide. The gap could be really big, and we say, hey, we gotta, we got to adjust our plans. You know, just because we're, we're planted doesn't mean it's what God wants, and so let's adjust our plans. Or we may go to other churches in our networks that we're a part of and say, hey, help us out for the next couple years. This is what we're pursuing. This is where we're at. We've got a lot of college students in our church, um, and so help us get through the next two or three years to pursue this calling that God has given us. And everybody understands, like, yeah, we get that. 
So um, you letting us know what you think the Lord wants you to do is a huge part of that. Now, if you notice on the piece of paper, it's anonymous. We're not calling in a handwriting expert. We're not doing DNA swabs to try to figure out who wrote what so we can come back next year and say, hey, you said this. Where are you at? This is not a pledge, right? This is just basically you being honest. This is what I think God wants me to do uh, to, to cheerfully, joyfully, sacrificially, generously contribute to the work of God through the Crossing Church to help you guys plan. And, and then we'll take that and, and let the Spirit continue to, to lead. If you can fill that out today and drop it off in the basket when you come and receive communion, great. If you want to drop it off at the end of the worship gathering, great. If you want to take it home, pray about it, think about it, come back next week and drop it in the basket, that's fine too. Um, and, and notice, when, when you come and receive communion, we, it's very intentional how we have this set up. We, we have the bread, we have the fruit of the vine, and then the offering basket. You're not paying money to get communion, just in case anybody wonders about that. You receive communion because Jesus has paid the price for us to receive that. And then, oh, by the way, just drop that off because logistically it's just easier. That's the only reason it's up there. Um, now, both uh, this, this practical exercise this morning is a reflection of how we steward and share life according to our time and money, which is a huge part of what makes God's people distinct in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see this in the two passages we read earlier in the book of Acts. Part of what characterized the early church and made them this radical group of people is how much they share their time and resources. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They gave whatever needed to be given to be generous and help each other out, and they were in each other's lives on a continual basis. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, which doesn't mean they sold everything and they kind of had these communes. That doesn't mean people didn't have private property. They did. But they were willing to take whatever they owned and sell it, use it for the good of God's work and God's people. Verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And so they were devoted to the Lord. They were devoted to each other. And it showed up in how they invested their time and resources. And this would characterize the church going forward. There was a radical generosity to how they spent their time and money. In AD 252, the city of Carthage was under a great plague. People, residents, healthy people were fleeing the city by droves. The Christians there who had been persecuted in this city did not leave. They stayed. And one of their leaders, local leaders, Cyprian, gathered the believers in the center of the town and he said this to them. If we're going to do what Jesus did who though he was rich became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich, then I call you now to fan out through this town and give both personal and financial aid and care and comfort to all according to their need, not whether they're Christian or not, not even whether they are your enemies or not. We are called here to follow what our master did. They would not abandon the city and the plague but gave of their time and resources to continue the work of Christ. Radical generosity. Well-known quote by one of the Roman emperors, Julian, trying to slow down the spread of Christianity, revive pagan worship. He was writing to one of his friends about why he wasn't being successful. He said this about Christianity, why it couldn't be stopped. He said, their success lies in their charity to all. They take care of not only their own poor, but ours as well. Radical generosity of time and resources. Where does all this flow from? Well, if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, one of the most concise passages that show this relationship between God's grace to us, God's grace flowing from us. Beginning in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, 
as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. One of the the key themes or storylines of the New Testament is Paul taking up this offering for the believers back in Jerusalem who were being persecuted and who were going through famine and hungry. He's going to all these surrounding churches trying to round up support. Let's go help out our brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. And he's calling on the Corinthian believers to participate in this gift, this offering. And in calling upon them to give, he's reciting the Macedonian believers. Saying, hey, you wouldn't believe what these guys have given. Not because they had a lot, but even though they didn't have a lot. He says they were begging me, begging me to participate. Almost as if Paul had said, look, look, you guys are struggling. Don't worry about it. God will provide through somebody else. And they said, no, we want to participate in this. We want to be a part of of helping God accomplish his work and care for his people. So let us give. Let us participate in this offering. And and Paul goes on to give more personal instructions. And in verse 7, he transitioned to the Corinthian believers, telling them, you you have these other things that you excel in, faith and speech and earnestness and knowledge, excel also in this, this act of grace. And then verse 8, he says, I say this not as a command, Calling you to give like this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. I'm not commanding you to do this, but prove to others how real your love is, how genuine your love is. For you know, verse 9, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become Rich. Jesus laid aside the treasures of heaven, laid aside the throne room of heaven, the praise and worship of heaven, came to earth, put on the poverty of human flesh, literally lived an impoverished life, so that we who are poor might inherit the riches of heaven, not through our work, but through his work. That's how generous and gracious Jesus has been with us. And Paul goes on to the rest of chapter 8, highlighting specifically some things that they could do, uh, going on into chapter 9, and then look at chapter 9, verse 6, the summation of these, these two chapters speaking about this offering and this generosity. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. There's so much in that passage that I'm not going to dig into for sake of time this morning, but from this passage as well as others, we see the grace that we have received through our Lord Jesus Christ enables us, empowers us, motivates us to give generously, cheerfully, sacrificially, faithfully. We give as a demonstration of our faith and trust in our Father. Who provides? What do you have that you haven't been given? He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself freely for us, will he not freely give us all things? The passage we read at the beginning of the the worship gathering time, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus tells us we don't have to be anxious for food or clothing. Our Father in heaven takes care of the birds, feeds them every day. They never have to go to a grocery store. Food's provided. Our Father clothes the flowers of the field. 
Are we not much more valuable than the birds and the, and the flowers and the grass? And if our Father cares for them, how much more will He care for us? So our job is not like, as Jesus says in that passage, the Gentiles to consume our life with worrying about getting all these things. He says you're different. You're a child of your Father in heaven. Your job is not to consume yourself with how do I get, how do I get, how do I get. Your job is to seek His, Him first. Seek His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. That's our role. That's our responsibility. And Jesus says when we live like this, the very beginning of that passage is Matthew 6.25. We don't have to worry or be anxious. Some of you this morning can't even imagine that. You're like, yeah, right. Worry and anxiety is my spiritual gift. There's no way I can be separated from it. Then why would Jesus tell us to not be worried and not be anxious? That we can live in the freedom free from worry and anxiety. Now, it doesn't mean we're not concerned Right? So how do you know if you're worried and anxious in a sinful way or if you're just concerned? And and the the test that I've always given myself and others is, are you praying or are you worried? Because Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayers and supplications, present your requests to the Lord. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So are you praying, bringing your knees before your Father, or are you just fretting? And walking the floor and rubbing your hands and going crazy. That's how you know if you're in anxiety and worry in a sinful way or if you're trusting your Father in heaven. So we give, we are saying, Father, I don't need 100% of my income to meet all of my needs. I need my Father. That's really all I need. And He will provide. And this gift to His work is a tangible demonstration of that trust. To prove to you that I know you're going to provide, even though I can't see where it always comes from. My Father will meet my needs as I obey Him, so I will simply pursue Him and seek Him and trust Him. We give as a demonstration of our gratitude for His grace. So we give generously because He's given to us so generously. We give sacrificially as a demonstration of Christ's sacrifice for us. And there are times where we, we really give sacrificially to help out somebody, to, 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 to be obedient to something that God has called us to give to. We give joyfully and cheerfully because we've been given so much. We've been given life, breath, salvation, Jesus. We've been given so much we can't lose, right? We've been given so much that no one can take away. Not even death. We've been given the inheritance of the kingdom of God. The inheritance of being a brother or sister of Christ. We've been given eternity to enjoy with God and His people. In in things that we can't even begin to imagine or picture in our minds. And nothing and no one can take that away from us. So because we've been given so much that we can't ever lose or have taken away from us. Then we can give Time, resources, money, spiritual gifts, generously, cheerfully, sacrificially, with joy. Yeah, because our, our Father owns whatever else we need. Our Father's got it, right? Washing machine breaks, that's His washing machine. Dad, I need a new washer. Okay, son, we're going to provide that. Car breaks down, Dad, that's your car. I need a new car. Help, help, help me fix the car. Okay, son, I'll take care of that. He's given us everything. Will He not also give us the temporary small things that we need? And so we can be joyous in how we use our time and energy and resources because our Father will continue to give us everything we need to accomplish His will and His purpose. He'll never call us to do anything that He won't also equip us to be able to do. And so we never lose. We never lose. Because the things that matter the most can never be taken away. He is the source of our greatest joy. So how can we not give cheerfully and joyfully? Like we get to do this. It's not like like if if giving financially to the work of God for you is like paying a bill. Please see the beauty and the generosity of Jesus giving himself to you. 
and your response to him being an act of worship and not like paying another bill or writing another check. How much do we give? We didn't spell that out in our members' covenant. We didn't, we didn't spell out how often you attend Sunday worship gatherings. It's not like, you know, you've got to be here 87% of the time and somebody's back there taking names and writing all that stuff down or, or you know, you have to give 7.8% of your income, so turning your W-2 so we can... We're not worried about all that kind of stuff. Counting chickens and all, counting eggs and things like that. 10% is a good baseline, but, but for some, 10% doesn't even register. It's not even sacrificial or generous. For some, 5% would be incredibly sacrificial. The tithe predates the law, so when you say tithe, I don't even worry about this relationship to the law because it was a free will gift of Abraham to King Machosedek when he bailed him out in Genesis chapter 14. So it's not even an issue of the law because it was a free act of worship of God's people to their, his Savior in a way. I would simply say, let the Spirit lead you. Pray and ask your Father. What can I give that will be a demonstration of faith, generosity, sacrifice, and joy? Do, do you need to give all of it to the crossing church? Can you give a portion of it to the crossing and a portion to other nonprofits and charities that you love? And absolutely, absolutely. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to figure out that right balance. We, we do that as a family ourselves. We don't need your money. Don't give because you think, oh, the crossing needs our money. It's a church plant. They got to they gotta survive. You know, we got we to gotta bail them out. We, we don't need your money. This is not about paying the bills of the crossing. This is about being a people agreeing together to live this way because of what we see in the scriptures and because of what Jesus has done in our life. Wherever we end up receiving, whatever we end up receiving, we'll use it wisely, we'll use it well, and, and, and we hope and pray is what we're striving to do. Whatever isn't provided... But we'll trust the Lord. We'll trust the Lord with what isn't provided. We don't need your money as much as you and I need to give. To live out the scriptures. If you don't give, we'll be okay. But will you be okay? Missing out on God's blessing. Missing out on what it's like to walk by faith. Missing out on this act of worship and joyful generosity that we get to participate in. For some, this could be a huge issue of the heart. Jesus constantly preached on money and resources. He knew the temptation it was and it is to consume us and to choke, choke out our life. And it doesn't matter if you're wealthy or not. The stranglehold of money chokes all levels of economic ability. A good question to ask ourselves is this. How does my giving to others reveal a heart that doesn't live under the control of money? Where money isn't my master, but it's a tool that my Father allows me to use. Do you live in constant fear and anxiety because you don't think you have enough? Do you lack the ability to be gracious and generous and cheerful because you want to hold on to as much of it as possible? These are all good indications the grip of the grip that money has on us. And so you pray and you ask the Lord what he would have you to do and then respond by faith, cheerful generosity. And we'll trust the Lord to guide us forward in whatever way uh, he wants us to go. I was, I was walking to a store the other day and uh, I saw a sign that said 72 days to Christmas. And I'm like, you know, gee whiz, already? Um, but one of my favorite Christmas movies is A Christmas Carol. Now, a lot of you know the story Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Um, Charles Dickens. Scrooge is known for being a Scrooge. Being very tight with his money. And how miserable it has made him and how miserable it has made everyone who knows him. And Scrooge gets this incredible gift on Christmas Eve. These three visitors who take him to his past, his present, and his future. And they show him why he is the way he is and how his greediness and his scrooginess have impacted the people in his life and, are, and where it's going to go. And it's not good. Depending on which version you watch, it's kind of scary, especially if you're a little kid. But Scrooge gets this gift. And it's all pretend. It's not even real. And he wakes up Christmas morning. What happens? 
His life has been changed. And he doesn't want to be this guy anymore. So he goes out to see how generous and joyfully he can change other people's lives because of all that he has accumulated. Now, that's make-believe, not even real. As far as we know, there's probably a real guy like that somewhere. But in real life, the gift of grace that we've received through our Savior Jesus Christ, how it changes us, how it has changed us, how it is changing us, and motivates us and empowers us to be generous with His grace. Not just money, but time, spiritual gifting, abilities. You know how to do something? There's a bunch of other people in our church who probably don't know how to do it. Why don't you teach us how to do that thing? All these things go into being a steward of everything God's given us. And we share it generously and graciously and joyfully with the people of God. The people of our city. Not just the Crossing Church. So by God's grace, for God's glory, let's be that people. Father, we are grateful for Jesus. That he has graciously, generously given of himself so that we could be saved from sin, Satan, and death. So that we could be your people now, carrying out your work now, and your people forever. So that we could experience the richness of our Father in heaven. As he lavishes his grace on us every day. We get so much more than we deserve. We thank you that you don't treat us according to what we deserve. So help us this morning to worship you in return. With joy, hope, faith, repentance, and trust. I pray for anyone who might be here who's never come alive in Christ. Pray that today they would see the beauty of the gospel and turn from their sin and trust in Him. Father, make that happen for Your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.